Hey there, this is Damien Blinkinsop with another episode of The Quantified Body. Today, it's Heavy Metals Detoxification Part 2. In episode 13, we looked at mercury. Today, we're looking at lead. The reason we're looking at these heavy metals individually is that each metal has different impacts on the body. And the best approach to tracking your burden can often involve completely different lab tests. Also, the tools or tactics you use to lower that burden, so in this case, lead, are all, they tend to be specific to each metal. So for that reason, there are researchers and physicians who tend to be specialized in one metal or another. As we saw with Chris Shade, he's obviously just focused on mercury, and today's guest is more focused on lead. Having a high lead body burden can be a problem for several reasons. The first is that with children in particular, it can cause brain-related damage. With adults, the bigger issues tend to be more increases in heart disease risk and cancer. To dig into the topic of lead, how to track it and remove it from the body, we have Dr. Gary Gordon on the show. Dr. Gordon has been a practicing physician for over 55 years and is perhaps the best known in the field of chelation and detoxification of heavy metals. He is particularly well known for lead detoxification and the use of the chelator EdTouch. As you'll hear in the show today, he's now 80 years old, and as you'll see, certainly is a really good example of the kinds of energy levels we should be aiming for in the later stages of life and vitality. He attributes this vitality and overcoming past health challenges in his younger years to his work in detoxification amongst other anti-aging treatments. To get the show notes with the summary details of the tracking and the tools and tactics covered in this episode, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash episodes and pick this episode out. If you want to get the show notes from every episode in your email inbox, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there, and every time we put an episode up, you'll get the show notes. Done. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the Quantified Body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Welcome to the Quantified Body, Dr. Gordon. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to have you here. I've been following your work for a long time, indeed. Can we start off with, is lead a toxin? And if it is, why and how does it damage us? Well, the answer is yes. If you look at the periodic table, lead is able to fool the body into thinking it's supplying good things like zinc. And the net result is lead does not support the key metabolic steps that things like zinc do support with the end result that lead, even in extremely minute quantities is absolutely a negative effect on our health and we are all loaded with a minimum of one to two thousand times the level of lead in our bone that was present just 700 years ago. Wow. Have there been like biopsies or things like uh, studies that have quantified the amount of lead in tissues or in bone? We have studies telling you every tissue from the back of your eye to, the, to your toenails to your hair. There isn't a part. Everything has been tested and the level is known and it's different from tissue to tissue. And of course, it will be different in people who have impaired ability to push toxins out or people who have increased exposure because of a life where they work with lead paint or they're a welder, or many other occupations that give people lead as part of their job. Great, great. So you just described a mechanism for how lead is a toxin. You were describing how the body believes that lead is zinc or one of the other metabolites, one of the other minerals that it uses in its functions and its cells. And when it does so, it's putting it into enzymes and different areas of the body, and those parts of our body stop functioning. Is, is that a correct way of looking at it? That's a very clear and succinct way, yes. Oh, great, great. Are there other ways in which it does that? So besides basically stopping at parts of our body from working, which I think we can all understand that we don't want parts of our body to stop working or to start working in the wrong way, does it create um, oxidative stress or does it do anything else while it's in the body? It has many mechanisms. 
by which it is doing the poisoning of our ability to use oxygen. It increases free radical-related damage. It's a toxin on many levels. Great. Thank you very much. So what are the typical health conditions that you have linked through your work or you've seen in your experience that uh, particular lead toxicity tends to lead to? Well, initially, we always thought of it as it related to damaging nerve function with neuropathy, numbness, tingling, impaired judgment, depression. But as time has gone on, we now can relate to its adverse effects on every tissue in our body so that we know that it's causing stress on the heart, stress on the kidney. And across the board, there is no tissue in your body that is exempt from the adverse effects of lead. And it's hard for people to understand that you in your body store lead primarily in bones. So therefore, if I do on you a blood test, a urine test, or a hair mineral test, and I come back and say, gee, it doesn't look any worse than anybody else because we all have some lead. You cannot find a human being that is free of lead. But if I say you don't look like you're particularly lead poisoned, I am giving you very misleading advice because only Harvard has done these studies because it takes a very special instrument to non-invasively, instead of doing calcium in your bones, which is bone density, Instead, to do lead density using specialized equipment that I think we only have about six centers in the United States who can do this test. But when they do it, they are able to confirm that what you see in the lead in the bone is not accurately reflected in urine, hair, or blood with the net result that people are being erroneously misled into thinking that lead toxicity is not one of the reasons for their chronic fatigue, their impaired judgment, their depression, their weakened heart, and across the board. Uh, it's really sad that the average doctor still thinks that lead in the hair or blood and urine is enough of a test, and it's not. Right. So there you're referring to, in, in functional medicine, we often use the urinary uh, metals test. So we're looking at the metals that are coming out of your urine, and sometimes they will do the post-chelation test. Yes. So using something like DMSA or DMPS, and then taking the urine sample to see that. So do you see any purpose in that test? Do you think it's, it's relevant in terms of just lead, if we're, we're talking about right now? Is this something that you use with your patients? Is there any way that you approach quantifying it? Is it with that test or do you use something else? Uh, I was the co-developer of the laboratory called Mineral Lab, which we sold many years ago to Doctors Data. And I had offices in Europe and Asia and across America from the east to the west coast. So I love tests because without tests, the patient has no way of knowing what's going on, nor does the doctor. My only problem is that there's always a limitation into how accurate tests are. So a provoked urine test by chelation has served in fantastic way to help millions of people because a provoked specimen wakes you up to the mobilizable lead in the patient's body, and that number will help motivate the patient and, when necessary, the patient's employer into doing the needed health care. I'm looking now at a different dimension since I will be 80 years of age very shortly. I'm looking more at the effect on longevity and the subtle effects that are not readily appreciable unless you take the time to read the published data, which is published in journals like the Journal of the AMA, but that doesn't mean anybody reads it. Right, right. So in terms of, I mean, we're very interested in uh, longevity on the quantified body. So I'd be interested in terms of your own, I don't know if you do this, uh, if you do your own post chelation uh, urine, is yours very low levels of lead, for example, or do you still have some of that? And I understand that, you know, obviously you're looking at body reserves as well when you're talking about in the bone, for instance, for your longevity. So in answer to that, first of all, on my own tests, because I was born sick, I just happened to have reviewed my medical records from many years ago from the Mayo Clinic because I have spent many years being extremely ill. And so in medical school, 
because I, I could not go up a flight of steps without going into early heart failure. In my earlier training in school, I was forbidden from being in active sports because my heart was quite obviously not up to any insignificant activity. So uh, my level of lead, mercury, and cadmium has been a lifetime challenge because I understand that it takes 15 years for bones to remodel. And therefore, I tell everybody that since you can do the data before the industrial age, which roughly starts 700 years ago, the level of lead widely published in skeletal remains is extremely low until we start doing the mining and disturbing the earth's crust. And that's when we bring the lead into our water, food, and air. Now, in terms of what's optimal treatment for a patient, if you look at the published data that shows that right out of Harvard that the level of lead in your bone accurately predicts when you go blind with your cataracts, and that the higher the level of lead in your bone leads to six times increased heart attack rate. So the problem is we can't suddenly have a large number of these expensive instruments available and it wouldn't change things very much because there aren't any people that aren't born with lead, mercury, et cetera, because it's widely documented that your body as a baby is rapidly growing and in a sense serves as a wastebasket for the mother's body. So it's now widely known if you look at the 10 American study where they took 10 Americans at random and looked at DDT and PCB and dioxin and polybrominated diphenylethylene. If you, when you look at published data, in general, you can be certain that whatever level you found of a heavy metal in the mother will be at least twice that in the child. And so therefore, it becomes interesting to know what was the mother's occupation. And when we realized how much lead paint we were using at one point, the causes of where we get all these heavy metals are sometimes obscure. And in addition to that, you have quite different capabilities on a genetic level for some people to clear the heavy metals they may be born with or work with much more effectively. Their diet, of course, has tremendous influence. I, as a researcher in the field of heavy metals, I've uncovered many amazing stories with patients whose life has been virtually wasted because nobody ever thought to look for heavy metals. And I could take an example of a young girl about 15 years of age that happened to be in a study that I was doing on behalf of the university in Canada. They wanted to determine to what extent shell oil was poisoning people downwind when they were taking the sour gas and turning it into sweet gas with tremendous levels of the toxic metals being released into the air. As a result of our laboratory being given the contract to do that study, this young lady had cadmium level in her hair that was off the scale. She was not my patient, but it became my ethical obligation to chase it down. She turned out to be in McGill, and they were about ready to treat her for some rare form of malignancy that they couldn't identify, and they were sure they were going to start chemo. And I told them if they started chemo, she would be dead instantly, and that, that her death would be on their head, and so they backed off. And I was able to, in her case, find the buried nickel-cadmium batteries that some bad people had deposited near the water intake to the facility that she was living in. And I have stories like a whole household of people poisoned with mercury because they, the grandmother was storing mercury in an open container in the kitchen where all the kitchen towels were. But the stories go on and on. We find what you look for. And since my interest at age 80 is how long should we be physically still active and healthy. And I really like the idea that that should be 100 years. And I would therefore like to help people understand that since you cannot suck all the lead out of your bone, the bone is going to take 15 years to remodel. And so during that 15 years, as your bones are remodeling, should you be lucky enough to meet a doctor who tells you that oral chelation works extremely well. I have published the book, and it's in all the bookstores, Detox with Oral Chelation. And yet doctors hardly tell people about it. Just a high dose of vitamin C alone is a chelator. 
And if you're taking four, eight or 10 or 12 grams, Linus Pauling was my close friend. So I like 12 to 16 grams, but whatever you're taking, if you're urinating C out in good quantities in your urine, which is a 20 cent test on a piece of paper called VitaCheck, if you're urinating a lot of C out, that C will be chelating heavy metals and other toxins with it. So my obligation, if I'm going to help mankind enjoy a higher level of health when we get older, is to make us aware that this is a ubiquitous problem. And obviously, in some people, it is the main problem. The man comes to me, he's been welding for 30, 40 years, and his lead levels are off the scale. Those are pretty open and shut, but it's really amazing how in one case, I uncovered a smelting function in Sacramento. They had about 30 or 40 employees. Many had been in the hospital repeatedly, many times at Kaiser and other hospitals in Sacramento. And they would be sick for two, three weeks. They'd be treated and sent home. No one ever made the diagnosis. And when I did, by coincidence, my nurse her husband was one of those employees, and I said, well, bring his hair in. And then I got in. It was off the scale. I did a few other people. But what was interesting is that Barney Kawada, who was the guy who doing the most work with the molten lead, was Japanese, and he never gave up his, his early Japanese diet. And he had one of the lowest levels of lead out of the entire employees, whereas one of the secretaries working at the computer in the distant office living on sugar and sweet rolls and coffee had one of the highest levels. So it's really interesting, the influence of diet and genetics on how well you handle these heavy metals. But it's an important part of, I think, of anti-aging or any kind of medicine to make people aware that, yes, it may be the main problem that you've come to me with. And when we look at the amount of mercury in many people's mouths, when you just open their mouth, it's pretty clear that they are, have a toxic time bomb in their mouth. And, and at the same time, some people handle it better than other people. But across the board, no one is escaping without a negative effect on their body. But we have to settle for the fact that all tests have their limitations. And it makes it easy because people are going to have to spend their own money doing this detoxification. And therefore, they're entitled to have the best data we can give them how full was your tank when you came to me and how effective was I at getting your tank empty of lead or mercury or something. And what's so sad about all that is that very simply put, we can show you that if I take a, that welder and I have him get 100 chelation and at the end of 100 IV chelation, he's excreting almost no lead. What is amazing is I knew that I didn't want to put him back to welding. And so he was with a big company, so we put him in an air-conditioned office to do paper shuffling. But at the end of six months, I brought him back and did another provoked chelation test. And this time, after receiving over 100 chelation, and tell me how fantastically good he felt. He was a brand new man. But at the end of six months with that provoked specimen, it was 90% as bad as it was before I gave him 100 chelation. And this is what's so sad. I am having trouble getting people to understand that just because you've chelated somebody and they feel fantastic and the lead levels they treated are low, you have not solved the problem. So this is because, as I understand it, as the bones remodel, the lead is coming out into the blood again. And then, and then you see the visible levels and it comes out of the urine as it's getting chelated again. So as you were saying, it takes 15 years for that had to happen. So basically, as I understand it, you're saying that we have to be chelating every day or like with IV at once a week or whatever the regime is constantly because it's going to constantly be refilling your bloodstream as time goes on. Exactly. And the thing that we have to make clear is that I took the time to put 507 published references from doctors in industrial medicine who work with lead workers who had absolutely published the data that oral EDTA will bring lead levels down, even if you're working with lead daily, to safe levels for most workers. Again, my website, 507 published papers oral works, and yet 99% of doctors 
tell patients that it will not work when it's so misleading. If you tell people that it's something they can do orally and technically, uh, vitamin C and EDTA are almost the same price range. So why make a big deal out of it if EDTA was shown by Johann Bjorkston back in Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm born and raised, and he's a world expert on cross linkages, he showed that multicellular organisms called rotifers dipped in EDTA every day live a minimum of 50% longer than any rotifers not so treated. So the, the message is loud and clear. In my mind, no one today is achieving the health span they might have achieved because we are ignoring this obvious problem. So for listeners at home, what is EDTA and what does it do? Ethylene diamine tetraacetic acid. I kind of make a joke out of it because acetic acid is another way of saying vinegar. So I tell people I'm your handy dandy grocer. But the facts are that EDTA has been used by companies like Chick-fil-A to keep the coleslaw fresh. It's part of our diet. They buy it by the railroad car load. And so people are hearing that it's a synthetic molecule, you could call it a synthetic man-made amino acid. Some people are going to run away from it, and that's their prerogative. And we can do good chelation with garlic and vitamin C, and there are many natural chelators out there. It's only that EDTA happens to have a really high affinity and is so specific in lead. It is not that specific with mercury. But at the same time, it has these documented studies because I have pulled every published paper that involved EDTA with a professional researcher for over 20 years, and I pulled over 7,000 papers. So I know a great deal about EDTA, and I really wish that we could have people look at it as being not any different than taking vitamin C, ascorbic acid, acetic acid. The point is that EDTA is doing things that can help forgive what we have done to our planet when, out of necessity, we started mining. And when we started mining, we put things in the air and it winds up in our bodies. And it is not allowing us to live to what I think is my intended useful lifespan, which is why for over 30 years, I haven't gone a day without oral chelation. Wow. So when you're talking about EDTA, is this something that you're taking like twice a day? What kind of dose of EDTA are you taking daily? And can you explain what it's actually doing? Is it binding specifically to lead or is it binding to other things? And is there any safety concerns in terms of it binding to other things, say minerals that we do need? Thank you for a great question. Because I took on this obligation, I have really researched that EDTA is a non-specific chelator. It's not going to deal with just lead. When there, when it is bored and there's not much lead around to work with, it will grab mercury too. And across the board, when we look at what it is doing in the body, it seems to be a wonderful antioxidant. So it seems to prevent cross linkages that may be free radical related. And on children, babies particularly, I love putting the EDTA into the bathtub. Uh, we've had some people like to put it in rectal suppositories, which I have nothing against other than I want that to be done on a factual basis. I see nothing to support that it's better absorbed at the rectum than it is at the mouth. And if you're going to be doing it every day for 15 years, I think it gets tiresome to put it in the rectum every day. But bottom line, we can use zeolite as a chelator. We use vitamin C. There are many things that we use, but EDTA, because there's so many published papers about it, and it's what we wound up using in the study, which was called the trial to assess chelation therapy, where we did spend $31 million of NIH funds. And it's really important to understand that most people who read in JAMA, the TACT trial, the trial to assess chelation was supposed to put all the chelation doctors out of business for once and for all. And it was a really shocking thing when it came back that it was in fact safe and effective, but they have done everything they can to keep how safe it was from the 
general public, and we have now taken the time to get the raw data and find that, in fact, there's a 51% reduction in death in diabetics, and the data is so persuasive that we have had another visit. Uh, Gervasio Lamas, the head of the Miami Heart Institute, is, in, is taking on the burden of raising another 30 or 40 million to do another study because the data is that substantial that even the FDA says, if you do one more study, we will approve this as a treatment for diabetics. Wow. This study was specifically done on EDTA or is it on aviculators? That was, let's make it very clear. The trial to assess chelation therapy was based on the protocol that I wrote. It was I, Gary Gordon, that took it on myself to write the protocol that over 10 million people have followed safely without a single reported fatality ever using my protocol. And besides the diabetes benefit you just remarked, were there other benefits that were discovered? Every possible benefit from lowering hypertension to getting feet warmer, to stopping intermittent claudication, improving blood flow to the brain, memory. I mean, anything that's tied to blood flow, because think of it, the cheapest test you might do would be a calcium measurement of the patient's coronary arteries. And if we can just realize that at age 60, we have 140 times more calcium in our vascular tissues than we did at age 20. And so we gradually turn to stone. So there's good reason to tie the entire aging process. In fact, I tell people that as an anti-aging doctor, I focused first on a simple motto. I want you to have strong bones and soft arteries when you're 80. That makes a lot of sense. And you certainly sound uh, very energetic. Um, you say you're 80 years old right now. Are you 80 years old? or uh, Not until January 3rd. I have another two weeks reprieve here. Okay, okay. this is pretty much the same thing. I would just like to ask you personally, how do you feel these days? How active are you? You mentioned at one time it was difficult to walk upstairs. So um, how does that compare to the situation today? Well, I just yesterday was jogging on the golf course with my two dogs at 5.30 at night, trying to find out how can I tell the rest of the world how great it is at age 80 to be healthier than I have been in my entire life. And so it just coincidentally, I was looking for some papers today, and there was my old history, my old medical files, and there fell out because I've had so much heart problem, so much bone. I had the advanced osteopenia. I have the, the list of problems I had is so long that I got bored reading my medical history. But the point is that I was a basket case. And, and it was interesting that I wound up seeing all these doctors at Mayo Clinic, which uh, it's always good to see the best mainstream doctors you can, because although they didn't help me one iota, it at least documents where you were. And it's really interesting because I really wound up seeing them because of a minor accident riding my horse when I got bucked off, got a fracture of the ankle. Turns out I had osteopenia. And I have really advanced, underdeveloped testicle and other problems. And pituitary. I have a lot of health issues. But it was amazing that at age 80, I feel today better than I have in my lifetime. I, I just want to share with others that it's more important in my mind because I still drive the same car after 10 or 11 years. I'd rather drive the same car and spend whatever I save on my body because it's it's not free to take care of yourself. I spend a lot of money taking care of me. And a lot of people would rather think that it's nonsense. And that's and so all that's going to change as the test for how old we are become much more widely available and increasingly sensitive. We've been dealing with rather insensitive monitors to tell you exactly how old you are, but I can motivate people today to take care of themselves because many people are either worried about losing their memory or dying of a heart attack or dying of cancer. So it's not that hard to go online and do some pretty good memory tests today. And it's very easy today to do calcium scoring and other tests of your heart to know what's going on. And in terms of cancer, I've been lucky enough to find a caprofile.net that has been fortunately finding cancer three or four years before the lump or bump. So I can motivate people to keep their tests in really a good, safe range. But the ideal test is going to come very soon because we are getting into the day and age that the price of tests continues to drop and the number of potential tests you do on people continues to expand. And pretty well, I am confident, 
Within two years, we'll have tests that will tell you within a month of introducing a new modality into your a diet change and exercise thing. I'm now having fun teaching people about exercising while breathing oxygen. I mean, there's many different things we can do. We now have people drinking a water product that has in it all what we call redox signaling molecules. That includes molecules like ozone, hydrogen peroxide, et cetera. And so an amazing thing is going on with me. I am today sitting remarkably sad that we all bought into the wrong theory and we thought antioxidants was the best way to help people. And it now turns out that I'm devoting much of my daily effort to teaching people the power of oxidative therapies. And ozone, of course, is kind of expensive at the high end, but drinking acea water and taking things like silver that is a catalyst to oxidation and breathing oxygen while I exercise would all obviously be oxidative. And if I happen to add some time in a fire infrared sauna, you begin to get the feeling that I'm really teaching people today that although antioxidants have their definite place, we must have balance in what we teach. So I'm really on a vendetta to change the overemphasis today that everybody thinks the whole answer is antioxidant because without oxidation, you will not get the signal for your intracellular switch to turn on the production of glutathione. Let's make that simple. A sea of water is available, proven safe. The FDA says it's totally non-toxic, yet it increases intracellular glutathione production by 500%, which is a cheap way of my helping people have something because glutathione is another nice way to help deal with the heavy metals and other challenges that our body is doing. And it's so documented that the Olympic Committee had to meet to decide that it's not illegal doping because this water so enhances oxygen utilization that athletes are beating their own record, but it's all totally legal. It's nothing but water, salt water, that's gone through a process so that the what we call redox signaling molecules like ozone, which most people aren't very familiar with, but they're going to have to become familiar with because it's only with things like silver and ozone and using high dose C that I can deal with Ebola and hepatitis C and other threats that people are beginning to recognize. Wow. Could you, uh, that reference was CO water? A-S-E-A. -E it's really an astonishing, I thought that this was nonsense and I was a hard one to convert over. But when I finally met Gary Samuelson, who's a medical nuclear physicist from BYU and understood what he did with the salt water, because I have known, I teach, I've been with Robert Rowan, he and I brought International Oxidative Medicine Association to the world after I had formed ACAM some 40 years ago, the American College for Advancement in Medicine to teach chelation. Now I'm teaching oxidative medicine, but we have this problem that people don't know anything about ozone yet. If you take anybody that's got hep C or has got, we're getting dramatic results on terminal cancer patients because we help the body overcome challenges by having available safe redox signaling molecules like ozone that cause the body to turn on amazing switches so all of a sudden you're making 500% more intracellular glutathione. So glutathione is everybody appreciates. We've seen Dr. David Perlmutter, if you go on the internet, he has an advanced patient with Parkinson who's been with a walker for six, seven years. He cannot say anything understandable and he can't walk. He puts the glutathione in the patient's vein. 10 minutes later, he walks perfectly up and down without the walker and he speaks perfectly clear. So glutathione is a pretty good thing. So I'm just teaching people that we have it all wrong, that only when the body sees a safe signal like a controlled stable ozone or a stable peroxide, is the body able to say, oh, I think I better turn on my own intracellular production of things like SOD, catalase, and glutathione. So it's pretty exciting with the field of medicine. I'm quite confident that we will be doing a lot of my life adding things like pulsed electromagnetic field and the use of far infrared saunas and, and the whole idea of breathing oxygen when you're exercising. I mean, I am having so 
much fun. <laughs> I, I, I can hear that. I was just about to say, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun with all of these new therapies. If you told me 10 years ago that when I reached 80, I was going to be in the peak of my health, I would have said that you must really be nuts. <laughs> so you mentioned so many different things. I, I want to clarify a few things. First of all, you mentioned infrared sauna. So this is one modality people use to detoxify by sweating the toxins out through their skin. Is this the reason you're using it for? Are you using it for specific toxins or why are you using infrared specifically? The answer to that is that your skin is a great, huge organ, perhaps largest organ, unless you want to argue the endothelium is slightly larger. The skin is the major way your body handles certain toxins. We have documented that uh, we've had people that were disabled by chemical exposures to the point that their brain had been fried. They didn't know their family's name. They were on total lifetime disability. And we brought them back totally, taking sometimes eight to 10 hours a day for one, two, or three months of sweating in a farm for its sauna with them coming in and going out and using certain nutritional things. I can do it far faster today when I add the rest of my knowledge about oxidative medicine, but the principle is there. When you can take, and the Attorney General State of Utah had so many officers that were poisoned when they raided angel dust operations and lost their memory and were on permanent disability so that he's so happy because he doesn't have to pay disability the rest of their lifetime because they're back to full functioning. But in one case, it took 90 days of supervised far infrared sauna and a total treatment program. I, of course, was a homeopathic background, a nutritional background with a pulsed electromagnetic field and the other things I'm telling you about could get that same result in certainly less than 30 days. Okay, okay. So will infrared sauna uh, chelate, or it's not inoculation, but detoxify across the board of toxins or is this specific to it? Yes, the guy who really wrote the book about it is the founder of the Church of Scientology, Ron, L. Ron Hubbard. And so some people call it the Hubbard Tank Therapy. And we used it after the 9-11 disaster. And we were able to get some of those workers that had not protected themselves, that were so filled with chemicals, they were facing death. So we have a lot of experience with this. But I reluctantly give the knowledge to him. But since he was the founder of a, of a pseudo-religion, there's a lot of people who have not thought to improve his initial protocol, but it was involving constant use of some niacin, so your skin was always getting a lot of extra circulation, so you had more blood getting to the skin and other nutrient ideas, and there's a lot of refinements in this whole concept available today. I have 4,300 doctors I talk to daily in my forum on anti-aging and chelation therapy, and I've spelled out a lot more detail in that, which is free of charge to any health professional and they were in 68 countries. Great. And I certainly want to put links to a lot of the things you've mentioned, like the chelation study you mentioned, um, uh, your protocol, this email list. I'll be interesting to many people. Now, just to go through uh, some of the other things you mentioned, I think going back, first of all, to, to the lead, and you mentioned that there's only one way to um, establish if you have a high level of lead in your bones. Is that through some x-ray mechanism? I'm, gu I'm guessing this is only used in studies and it's not really available for the general population or patients. That's the unfortunate fact. It's only available at research level, but... The papers are so solid. You just go to any computer and you put in bone, lead, and health. John Hopkins also has one of these devices. And so there's nothing to argue about. It is so clearly well established. And there's a simple fact. You have to understand that National Geographic first did the first issue on chemicals within us. And they said, open and shut, the way the mother gets rid of lead is just to have more babies because that's where the lead is leaving her body and going into the babies. And so when we realize that the babies they're talking about, when you go to Mount Sinai School of Medicine, Dr. Philip Landigan, he's the head of the Department of Pediatrics. He runs the research laboratory for measuring all the toxins in your blood. They charge, when you send them 20 tubes of blood, $4,900. But he says, why keep sending me blood? No one has ever been able to pass the test. The human population is loaded with polybrominated diphenyl ether. That's the flame retardant that HBO pointed out in this past year was complete fraud. It actually makes the house burn faster. It does not protect, but we've sprayed it on every mattress, on every pajama, and on every airplane seat cover. So every human is filled with PBDE. And there is an interesting corollary since we've been doing the PBDE 
I got out of medical school only some 56 years ago. And at that time, the average sperm count was 140 million. Today, the average sperm count is around, if you're lucky, 40 million. We've lost 100 million sperm because everyone is walking around loaded with toxins. That's one of the reasons we have so many fathers now have twins because they can't have babies the old-fashioned way. They have to have a fertility special. So for the people listening at home, this is going to sound very frightening, all of the, all of this, um, if they haven't come across the area of toxins before. So in what ways could they quantify any of these? What would you suggest if, for someone who's maybe concerned with a few symptoms, maybe not serious symptoms, but a few symptoms here and there, perhaps you could outline symptoms that should be more of concern. They should think more about these types of things, lead and these other toxins, or the types of tests. Would you recommend they go, for example, for the urine, the post-urine chelation test? to establish these kind of markers? Or how would you suggest that they kind of gather some evidence to kind of convince themselves that this is something that they should be working on continuously, as, as you recommend, so like a daily chelation or a approach to detoxifying? I think the answer is this. Everybody, if they get a really careful health history given to them, we're going to have more and more of these questionnaires available online. When people are honest and admit how many days they have trouble getting running, often this isn't working, their memory isn't up, they have abnormal appetites. If we look at everything from depression to fingers that have lost feeling, the lust, the list is very long. And the cheapest test, of course, was the mineral test on your hair because hair, hair didn't require a doctor. It could be sent to a laboratory. But some, some laboratories got in that weren't really up to our speed. And so I'm a proponent that they use a laboratory that other doctors use. A doctor's data is the one that purchased Mineral Lab. Then I had when I had Mineral Lab, we had offices, I said, in Asia and Europe. So this has been my life's passion. But but any test. So at the lowest cost end, you would recommend the hair the hair metals test from doctor's data. The hair test, and if there's no, here's the rest of the story. If the hair test shows no mercury, no cadmium, no lead, then that means essentially that you cannot get rid of them because you can't be living in this planet without being loaded with these metals. So if there's none in your hair at all, then it means that you have a block in your ability to get rid of them. And that is really very common in autistic children. Uh, it's uh, so sad because we have a tremendous success in dealing with autistic children. But if the poor doctor doesn't know that the hair test will not reveal the lead and mercury if there's a blockage in the body's ability to excrete heavy metals, because hair is nothing other than excretion, just like urine is an excretion. And so if they don't see it, then they uh, they think that they said, oh, well, then it's it must be something else in the way you feed your child. It's got to be something else, because always you cannot escape the heavy metals. And I repeat, if you're the director of the most advanced toxicology lab for the available to doctors at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, Dr. Philip Landigan, his question is, why would you keep sending me anybody's blood specimens? Because it's not paid for by your insurance. It's going to cost you $4,900 for us to do it. And there's never been anybody he's ever tested that doesn't come out with at least 160 chemicals that will induce cancer or neurotoxin or endocrine disruptor when he measures them. And there is no safe levels because when you have a little of the polybrominated diphenyl ether and a little DDT and a little dioxin, all of this is on top of having the lead. So nobody should think, oh, well, it's just a small level. There, a small level is on top of a small level of something else on top of a small level of something else. So if the goal is to realize that in our complex society today, I think that it's terribly important to keep you as sharp as a tack after 65, because I think many people, their first job, their first career may not be their ultimate career that they're meant to be on earth to do. And many of us don't know enough until we're 65 to be of tremendous service to our fellow man. So I'm a real proponent. Of course, I have a vested interest since I'm 80. <laughs> I'm a proponent of life extension. That's, that's great. So one of the other topics um, you have spoken about during this is that taking EDTA via oral chelation versus IV chelation. And for many people, when if they go to uh, local doctors who are specialized in detoxification, often IV chelation is the method they're probably first going to come across. I think you recommend more strongly oral chelation So with EDTA. Could you talk a little bit about that and what your thinking is there? Well, 
It is a little complicated. As the founder of this chelation movement, I came up with the name, the American Academy of Medical Preventics, and I wrote the first protocol. And I had, I told every doctor, you can tell me how you're doing it, but I'm going to take input from So I wrote the first protocol. And, and when I was doing that, I was just thinking today because I had a 16-year-old young lady in a hospital in Sacramento out of control, facing death with juvenile diabetes. And her family had seen the dramatic things that I was doing with IV chelation. And we took her out of the hospital for a few hours each day for me to do IV chelation. And we completely saved her life and her diabetes went into control. But we're not allowed to talk about things like that because there's not enough research, although I just told you that I didn't know that some 40 years ago that that was going to be that effective. Now that we have a $31 million study, we have a lot more knowledge. So the sad thing is this. We don't know until we test the question, will chelation stop this case person's schizophrenia? Will chelation stop this person's depression? Will chelation stop this person's cancer? Obviously, it's not that simple because everything that I teach is built around my Fight for Your Health program, where the fight, F-I-G-H-T, F stands for food and positive focus, I stands for infection, G for genetics, H for heavy metals and hormones, and T for toxins. So with my Fight program, the more of the modalities I add to my program, the greater the chance that I'm going to have somebody very happily restored to full health that they've never enjoyed. So most people can't deal with that multifactorial. They want to assume that if I get all the lead out, that's all I need to know. But unfortunately, they now report that well over 5% of us have some kind of a lesion in our pituitary that is making our endocrine picture more complex. And so the more you study medicine, the more you'll find that you can become a super specialist at any aspects of the fight program. You can do like Dr. Servain did as an MD after his brain cancer came back shortly after they gave him the chemo surgery and radiation that didn't do him any good. He decided to become knowledgeable about which foods will help cancer not come back. And he was able to make it stay away for 10 years. So some people do all their thinking about food, but they never ever realize that Harvard publishes the paper that proves that 96% of people with a simple blood test actively have cytomegalic virus in your body right now. And all doctors say, gee, we think inflammation is bad for you, but not one doctor out of 50 is aware that they and their patients are walking around with active CMV. Why am I making a big deal? Well, because we don't have a drug for it, the doctor chooses to ignore it. Whereas I live in the world of ozone and silver and high-dose vitamin C and other tricks for infection, so I can bring that infection down to a dull roar so that the inflammation is lowered so that nobody is aging as rapidly in their disease. So the more you look, the more you find. And now that we have the ability to do with 23andMe, you can do a genetic test for less than $200. And you can now find out that, yes, our genetic pool is changed because some of these toxins have changed the way our body handles methylation. So now you can see the big word epigenetic, which means above genetic. So as you get into the medicine that I study, It is fascinating to realize how many doctors go through life and all they learn is hormones. They never learned the heavy metals. They've never tested for toxin. If you told them PBDE is in every one of your patients at astronomical levels, they would ask you, what is PBDE? Polybrominated diphenyl ether is the flame retardant that is in every human being, every mammal from the Antarctic to the Arctic in frighteningly high levels. So it really comes across that you see this as a very much, today you see health as a multifactorial battle. (laughs) Basically a battleground on on many levels where it's us versus infections, uh, heavy metals, toxins, and it's through a protocol like yours which addresses, tries to address each of those which we're going to be able to protect our health, improve it, resolve chronic conditions and promote longevity. Is that a good summation? of? That's an extremely good summation. Yes. Bottom line, everything is multifactorial. And if you just attack any one of my fight 
issues, you're going to help every patient. But that doesn't mean you've done all you could do because some of us need to go from the infection control on over to the hormone support. We have an ability now to stop menopause in all women safely with a Peraria morifica plant that grows in northern Thailand. We have 14 years of research. And a dear friend of mine, Christine Northrup, who wrote the book Woman's Wisdom, Woman's Body, is coming out with a new book in February. And I have been working diligently with the Shula Longcorn University in Bangkok. And we actually have proof that you will not get broken bones if you take this herb. You will never see dementia in your patient if you give them this herb. And the reason Dr. Christiane Northrup, who's head of OBGYN at University of Vermont, the reason she's so enthusiastic is because doing her OBGYN, she looks at the vaginal tissues on 75 and 80-year-old women and find they become 15 years younger in less than six months. So we have so much exciting, good things to do for people. That's why I want to get the basics out of the way and have everybody realize that we are in for some exciting times where you're going to live longer and be more productive than you ever dreamed possible. But it's part of my job is to start with the basics. And today we've really focused more on the kindergarten and first grade level. But (laughs) <laughs> well, it's great. We have to get in somewhere. Yeah, exactly. um, so you've spoken a little bit about inflammation there. I'm wondering if there's any markers you look at. There's the HSS-CRP, uh, C-reactive protein that people often look at. But uh, do you look at that? Uh, because for, for some people like me, mine is very low, but I'm, I know I, in, in fact, have very high inflammation in other areas. So I don't know how you look at the whole inflammation area and if you look at that as a kind of marker of general health or how progress is being made. It is extremely useful. It is only one of many markers. My friend, Dr. Vajdani, is an MD, PhD in molecular medicine, and we have at least 10 other tests that often will show inflammation that's not revealed with C-reactive. So C-reactive is never a waste of time, but if it comes back and it doesn't look like a big problem, that may have missed a lot of other forms of inflammation that it's not sensitive enough to reveal. Okay, okay. So the other thing you have promoted, you feel very strongly about, is oxidative therapies here. On a previous um, episode, we talked to Christine Burdett of Dunwoody Labs. I, I don't know if you know her or of her work. Yes, I have heard. Yes, indeed. Okay, great. Well, so she has a set of oxidative stress markers. And on the other side of that, she has a set of uh, markers showing the intracellular glutathione and basically the response to stress. Have you looked into any of those kind of markers when you're using these oxidative uh, therapies to understand are there areas where it makes sense and it doesn't make sense Uh, let me be a bit more clear so for example for a patient with chronic health issues who goes and has these labs and has very high oxidative stress across the board or perhaps maybe an athlete or someone else who's putting their body through a lot of stress they have quite high oxidative stress levels recorded in these markers across their body is adding an oxidative therapy like ozone therapy or some of the others you mentioned earlier potentially going to push them over the edge? And so is there potentially a balance that has to be made between oxidative versus antioxidative? Great question. Well, the bottom line is this. If you learn fungal, bacterial, and viral infections are epidemic in man, and only with my oxidative therapies will you keep them at a dull roar because nobody's immune system is working as effectively as it could or would if you got the lead out. So let's look at the big picture. Everybody needs an antioxidant and an oxidant, and one doesn't preclude the other. We have stabilized our ability to offer a product we call one zeolite enhanced. And in that product, I have a minus 450 ORP, which means it is a stronger reductant than any antioxidant you could buy, but it is stable. And I can give it to you five minutes after I give you the oxidant, which is a sea water, which is a plus 850, because it too is stabilized. So we're going into an exciting time when you could look at those two things as we used to say oil and water won't mix. Well, but not. now that turns out we're in a sophisticated age that these are merely ammunition. These are energies that your body needs. They're fuels. And so uh, the my biggest sad thing is that most people are going to take a long time 
to really get enough oxidative therapies. I felt so fantastic yesterday because I was using my pulsed electromagnetic field and I was using my silver and I was drinking a lot of acea water and I was breathing the oxygen while I was exercising on a bicycle. I was doing everything oxidative and everybody else would sit there and say, well, you've embellished, you've gone too far. No, that was the best day of my life. So <laughs> we have to kind of move it over and say oxidation is good because we all have been using antioxidants because we get them from many sources. Okay, great. You mentioned ORP. What does that stand for? Oxidative reduction potential. And so the ORP meters that you can buy online for $110, the day will come that I hope to have it. We haven't worked it out yet, but wouldn't it be nice if one day I find that I can have a meter and everybody can measure their urine and find out, oh, boy, do I need an oxidant. I mean, I haven't gotten there yet, but that's, that's where I'm hoping all this goes. Right. So it's about balance, um, it sounds like. And so there you were talking about taking two things, one oxidative, one non-oxidative, and getting that balance by combining them, zeolite and, and the other one. And it also seems like you base, you put a lot of emphasis on how you feel and how people feel in general. Do you believe that if someone feels good or if they're taking some kind of their treatment or they introduce something new into their life and they're feeling better, do you think that's always a good thing? I would say it's a pretty good guide, but I, of course, in energy medicine, so I have used VOL, V-O-L-L, electro-acu-diagnosis by VOL, and they have many companies that sell that kind of equipment. They've simplified it. They call it Zyto. They have different tests, but bottom line, I've changed lives for 40 years because I knew how to read the energy in your kidney, and I could tell you instantly if the medicine you brought that you're taking is going to kill you or not, and I have taken children... One dramatic, when I first got into this, I didn't believe that testing could work. I was very skeptical. But my friend was Harvard-trained MD in San Francisco, was helping my patient. When I went. So I finally went ahead and got the device. They brought a child to me that at age 18 months was having at least three to four seizures per hour. And had been to UCLA, Stanford, and it had been to UCSF, seeing every top pediatric neurologist. Nobody could stop the seizures. I stopped the seizures 90% in the first visit. How did I do that? I took a simple history. Having heard me today, I said to the mom, well, you've seen all these super specialists. Did anybody ask you, where did you live when you, you were pregnant? Nobody ever asked her. She said, I lived at home with my folks. I said, well, what do they do? They're almond farmers. I said, go home and get the spray they use on the almonds. She brought the spray in in just a small tiny container. I checked it energetically on the child's nerve point. It immediately made the nerve point go crazy. When I balanced it out by thinning it out to one to a million, which we do homeopathically, instantly the brain was able to start just like you can take a person that's going to die if they get stung by a bee. You can give them very weak bee sting and they finally aren't sensitive. But I had a home run in the first visit. Wow, that's an incredible story. Well, Dr. Gary Gordon, thank you so much uh, for all this information. It's kind of pretty overwhelming, I have to say, <laughs> because you've obviously had a long career and you've added a lot of different um, practices over, over time. would love to hear a little bit about you, um, just in terms of how you manage since you, you are nearly 80 and you've been doing this for a long time. Are there any biomarkers that you track on a routine basis to monitor health or longevity or performance? I have tried all of them because I have tried to formalize the entire process of anti-aging. And so a good friend of mine wrote a book called Biological Aging Measurements 20 years ago, Ward Dean, and the game is going to change dramatically. So I don't want to burden your listeners because the cost of tests is dropping rapidly and we're getting better biomarkers. The ones we've been using have all been useful, but it's going to change overnight. And so I'm not going to go down. So the, the it's been a kind of an expensive labor of love to do the tests we've been doing. Right, right, right. And what do you think is going to change it? I mean, I know there's new companies coming in with uh, things like blood spot tests. And is there anything specifically you see that, that's going to change the future of testing? Like are there specific companies coming to market? Or what do you see that's going to change all of this so rapidly? One woman alone says she will be able to devise her device, a machine that with one drop of blood will give you 1,000 tests. So I'm pretty confident this lady is telling the truth. And then doctors won't be able to look at a thousand tests, but computers will go, will weed through it and help doctors see the pattern that is there. Great, great. Thank you very much for that. 
Just uh, one last question for you. Uh, what would be your one biggest recommendation for listeners uh, if they were to do one thing to improve their health, longevity, and performance? What would it be? I, I have to go along with James Watson. He was the co-discoverer of the double helix, and he's telling people exercise. And, of course, exercise is the poor man's oxidative therapy. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say that. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. And um, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you're concerned about lead and other heavy metals, here's my experience so far as an example to make this a little bit more practical. You can download my latest heavy metal tests from the show notes for today's episode. There are two reports. The first is that I did a six-hour post-provocation urine test with doctor's data in November of 2014. I used DMSA, d acid, as the chelating provoker agent for that. Lead was one of the three metals to come up higher on my test. My levels were at 4 micrograms per gram of creatinine, with their reference range being to target less than 2 micrograms per gram of creatinine. So for the more visual of you guys, it's in the yellow zone, there's a red zone, a green zone, you kind of get the picture. My other two metals in the yellow zone are arsenic and tallium. Now, arsenic most likely came primarily from my high consumption of chicken and rice for many years while living in China and Asia in general. The tallium, based on the studies I've read, it's a bit more unusual, but it very likely came from food contamination I was exposed to while living in Chengdu, West China, where the pollution has been documented. So specifically, tallium problems have been documented there. The second test I did was Quicksilver Scientific's mercury speciation test which requires whole blood, hair, and urine samples. We, we looked at that test in episode 13 with Chris Shade, so you can go check that out if you want more details on it. He's the guy behind Quicksilver Scientific. My mercury came back slightly elevated compared to the Quicksilver average, so I was between the 50% and 75 percentile. It also shows my natural excretion ability, so my body's ability to detoxify from the mercury, was slightly depressed wasn't a big deal. It wasn't really bad, but it was just slightly more depressed than usual, so it's something I can work on. The test did come back pretty much as I expected, though, as I've been working on the Mercury for a while, and so I didn't expect it to be super high. As you heard in episode 13, I've been doing biological dentistry and other things uh, to lower my Mercury levels. The Quicksilver test provides a lot more detail than the uh, doctor's data's test. A couple of other things I learned about these tests along the road is I've run the doctor's data's urine toxic metal tests while living in different places around the world over the years, as far off as Thailand. Um, So it's a test that is easily accessible if you're outside the US, which can't be said for all tests. You know, some tests are really complicated to get done if you're not in the US or maybe Canada. Due to the blood, Quicksilver is a little more, more tricky, but most of the time you can just find a phlebotomy service or a local lab that will help you with that part of it, and then you just ship it off to the States. If you plan to do your own tests, avoid obvious heavy metal contamination the week or so before it so that you don't bias your results. You don't want to think that you have more metals than you actually do because you've just taken in some. So cutting out things like rice and chicken for that period because these generally have some level of arsenic contamination. And then of course for mercury, the fish, in particular big fish like tuna and swordfish, which have high mercury levels. So what have I been doing to lower these heavy metals? Well, uh, I've been working off and on on detoxifying these for about just over two years now with different chelators. Currently, I'm taking modified citrus pectin with algamate in a product called Pectaclear. So this is the main uh, chelator. The reason I'm taking this one is because it doesn't interfere with other minerals as much as some of the other chelators. So the idea is that it provokes less detoxification symptoms because it's a more specific binder or chelator to the target heavy metals, in this case, lead, for example. So it avoids creating mineral deficiencies by binding to, say, calcium, zinc, or copper. A comment I would make on this particular product, Pectoclear, and modified citrus pectin in general, is that there aren't a lot of studies on it. And the studies that have been done are mostly from the owner of the Pectoclear product. So there's a little bit of conflict there. However, the functional medicine physician I'm working with recommended this to minimize my symptoms 
So I'm trying it out as an experiment. I have gone through some symptoms such as fatigue and headaches in a past, so I wanted to avoid those. I'm also using some of Chris Shade's products, which we discussed in episode 13. So I'm using Quicksilver Scientific's IMD Intestinal Cleanse, which binds specifically to mercury, and the Clearway Cofactors. They provide detoxification support, basically, to help your natural detoxification system. That also includes uh, his, his glutathione, vitamin C, and alpha-lipoic acid supports discussed with him in the episode. I'm looking at this as a long and slow process and not pushing it aggressively to avoid the side effects as much as possible. So personally, from my experience, if I push it harder and taking larger doses, I get fatigue and headaches generally. So I want to avoid those because I like being productive during the day. Previously, I've done runs of EDTA, uh, which is the chelator Dr. Gary Gordon was talking about today in, in today's interview, and for which there is a lot of past research supporting its use, right? So that's got a lot of studies behind it if you want to go with the the more standard option. On an ongoing basis over the last few years, I've also been taking standard like alpha-lipoic acid, not the liposomal form from Chris Jade, and selenium in the form of cimethyl l selenocysteine Selenium binds quite well to mercury, so that's the reason for that. Alpha-lipoic acid is a chelator, and selenium has a protective effect because it binds to the mercury. In fact, selenium is an ingredient of Quicksilver's clearway cofactors I just mentioned, in the form of selenomethionine. The forms of selenium do make a difference, so you kind of have to watch out for those. Make sure you're taking the right ones. Some of them can be a bit toxic, uh, especially if you're taking it in higher doses, and you don't want to take it in, in too high dose, like 200 micrograms per day is a standard. I've also done a run of Prussian Blue recently, which specifically chelates Talium, which is my kind of like a bit unusual metal, which I'm carrying there. And uh, the drug name for that, because it's FDA regulated, is Radiogardase. And it's often used uh, for radioactive cesium and radioactive Talium also, just so that's why it has that name. That's where I'm at. At this point, I'll probably get retested once every six months to confirm that the chelators I'm using are effective and everything's going smoothly and steadily detoxifying myself. I'd love to hear about your efforts to lower your burden if you've been working on it also, whether it be mercury-led or any of the others, arsenic and so on, uh, especially if you've tracked your progress or you have some test results already. Let me know in the show comments or just hit me up on email. I reply to everything. Detoxification is going to be something we come back to quite often because it's one of the ways we can increase our performance by lowering our burden of these toxins. Some of the ones we haven't looked at at all are like some other metals, but also there's a wide variety of chemicals and other types of toxins like that, like pesticides and so on that can affect us. So we'll be looking at those in some future interviews that I've already pre-recorded and are coming up soon. To get more of The Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.